0: This morning, we're kicking off a three week series called Not Our Home. So, not in parentheses, our home. And we're building off of this idea um, in in the letter of 1 Peter, where Peter addresses his letter to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, all these places that we've never heard of other than Asia, and they meant a different Asia than the one we know. But, he builds out this idea of aliens and strangers in the world. That this is not our home, and yet it is where we live. Okay, so in a certain sense, this is our home, but we, we don't really fit in here. And we're, we're not hostile to the, to the surrounding culture, at least that's not what Christians are called to be. We're not anti-culture, we're not counter-culture, but, but rather we embrace a different culture. We embrace a culture that is centered on and captivated by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we live out of that culture. So by God's design, we're like a city within the city. We're, we're a subset. We are a smaller city within the larger city that loves and serves and, and, and delights to lay down our lives for the good of the city around us. And yet we don't quite fit into that city because we have distinctly different values and priorities and, and we embrace different hopes and dreams. So this is our home and yet this is not our home. In a lot of sense, we're we're like modern immigrants who have, who have come to a new country and, and we love it here and we're glad to be here and in our hearts say, this is our city. And yet other people in the city who, who kind of aren't a part of of our subculture, might look at us and say, huh, well, where are you from? Because you don't, you don't seem to quite fit the culture of our city. We're home, but we're not fully at home. And as outsiders, we don't always feel welcome. So how do we engage the surrounding culture? How do we engage our city? Um, for those of you who've been around the church for a while, you know our mission statement. In the words of our mission statement, how do we go about multiplying passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ who engage this world, who engage the city with our love. Okay? That's the breadth of where we're going in this series. But, But our mission, our engagement, this opportunity to uniquely love and serve and invest in our neighbors, it all begins with our hope. And so this morning, I want to talk about our hope. I want to talk about the content of our hope, I want to talk about some obstacles that come up as we desire to share our hope. And I just, I just want to end with the unspeakable joy of sharing our hope, because that is what I have found it to be. So this morning, it's, it's all about our hope. We're going to go to the single verse. You've heard it read once, 1 Peter 3.15. But to start, I just want to give you a little bit more context on that verse. So I'm going to read a couple of verses. Um, in 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, we read this. Peter writes, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So we see this call to winsomely share our hope and yet this call, it's embedded in a context of of alienation and persecution and and isolation and you guys don't quite fit in and and maybe the surrounding culture doesn't really want to hear about your hope. And yet he invites us to share our hope. And sometimes that, that unfamiliarity with our hope, that strangeness, it even leads to hostility, particularly when we share our hope. And yet, he says, be ready, because if you have this hope in you, the time is going to come when, in all of your strangeness, the people around you, they're finally going to figure out, man, this person has something that I don't have, that that I kind of like, and I want to know about, and they're going to ask, what gives with you? What is the reason for this hope that you have? Again, here's the key to the section, the key verse that we're looking at. Always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have, I want to begin by asking, what is the content of this hope? As followers of Jesus, we hope in him. That's why this verse begins by saying, but in your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in a culture that hopes in anything and everything but Jesus, in a culture that hopes in football, in a, in a culture that hopes in getting another degree, in a culture that hopes in climbing the career ladder or building a family or getting a house or getting a boat, in a culture that hopes in anything but Jesus, in a culture that sometimes looks at the hope that we have and says, that's really a dumb hope, and I'm not even sure I want you in this society when you have such wonky hopes and dreams and desires and values and priorities says in a culture like that there's this temptation that we're like I don't know they're having fun over there maybe I'll go chase that hope or they, they look at me kind of squirrely when when I chase after this hope and I don't know I don't I don't like it when people look at me squirrely so there's this temptation to seek out a different hope and that's why this verse begins but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord Don't seek a different Lord. Don't seek a different Savior. Don't seek a different hope. As followers of Jesus, we hope in him. He is our Lord. He is our hope. But what does that mean? What does it mean to hope in Jesus? It means that we hope in the goodness and the grace and the love of our God. That we hope in a God who is unique among all the man-made concepts of God. He's different from every one of them. We we hope in a God who is all-powerful and yet all-loving. We we hope in a God who is so powerful that he speaks and pop. The world just, just blinks into existence. He speaks. He says sun and there's a sun. He says moon and there's a moon. He says, Grand Canyon, and it's majestic. We hope in a God who is all-powerful, and yet we hope in a God who is all-personal and who is profoundly loving, a God who didn't just create the Grand Canyon and the Pacific Ocean and sun, moon, and stars, but no, he created you and me, meticulously, lovingly. He, He dreamed us up before the world began. And then he created a world full of, Unimaginable delights that we can enjoy. What a creative and wonderful God that said, "I'm going to make people in my image, and then I'm going to surround them with things that will delight them." You know, the, the God who made who made butterflies and and bumblebees, and better than bumblebees, He made honeybees because honeybees make honey, and it's amazing. You know, this this God who who made puppies and horses and, you know, pick your animal that you delight in, that you think is really cool. He, he did all of that. He's so creative. He's so intimate. We, we, we worship, we hope in this God who it says, he says, every hair on your head is numbered. That's how much he loves you. And you're looking at me like, Shannon, that's not so tough. Like, 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 I could count the hairs on your head. But you know, some of you guys, you got a full head of hair and it's awesome. And it's wonderful, this God that we hope in. We hope, we hope in this God who eternally exists as a trinity, as the trinity. This God in three persons, which means that God was never lonely. But, but God, was, God is eternally loving, eternally living in community, eternally serving and finding enjoyment in the other persons of the trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's out of the overflow of that love and the overflow of that joy and that overflow of the impulse to serve one another that God created us in order that he might love us and that we might love him and that we might reflect that love and joy and delight and mutual service, that glory of his image throughout this earth. Amen? That's, that's amazing, the God that we hope in. We also hope in a God who balances perfectly balances both love and justice. And we value those things, but we don't know, we can't agree on what it looks like to balance those things. We serve a God who is so committed to justice that he says, I will not let one speck of evil go unpunished or unaddressed in my creation. I'm going after all of it. He says, the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. That's how serious our God is about justice. And yet, because our God is equally serious about love, he says, if the penalty for sin is death, I am not going to let my creation wallow in the sin-cursed world that they created. No, I am going to enter into that creation, and I am going to step into their place, and I am going to take their penalty. If the penalty for sin is death, I don't want them to bear it alone. No, I'm going to go in, and I am going to taste death in their place we serve a God, we worship a God, we hope in a God who is so loving that he left heaven to come slum it in our neighborhood. He lived a sinless life and he died a substitutionary death on the cross in order that the demand of justice might be satisfied and that the demand of love might be satisfied at the same time. That is amazing. Better yet, we, we serve a God and we hope in a God that did not stay dead. We hope in a God that rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he proved that death is defeated. That death has no power over him and death has no power over us who love him and who seek him and who hope in him. He, in his resurrection, it was like an atom bomb that detonated that is still cascading and it cascades as we share the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and as our friends and neighbors turn away from this hope in their own righteousness, in their own merit, in their own performance to please God, and they cling to the finished work of Jesus Christ, to his righteousness gifted to us as he takes our sin on his back to the cross. Amen? That's amazing. With, With death defeated, it opens up a whole new realm of hope. When I think about death defeated, when I think about creation restored, in the words of C.S. Lewis, when I think about the time that death itself will begin to work backwards, and every aspect of the curse will be obliterated. When, When he says in the book of Revelation, I will wipe away every tear, why is he gonna how is he gonna wipe away every tear? By obliterating the curse, by undoing death by removing the pain that causes all of it. When I think of that day, my mind goes to the resurrection, and what do I think of? I think about the day when I see my father in a body that is no longer ravaged by cancer, in a body that is no longer shriveled and weak and jaundiced. That means like yellowed because his liver shut down because the cancer got there and it couldn't filter out his body. And And the cancer took his life. But I hope for a day when all of that will be undone. I think of my son hobbling around on an ACL injury and trying to rehab that. And I look forward to the day in the short term where, through the grace of God in modern medicine, that that his knee is going to be good. But man, I look forward more so to the day when the first time ever my my, my father meets my son. And dad's body isn't ravaged by cancer. And Luke's body isn't ravaged by injury. And the two of them embrace for the first time because that's what a grandfather and a grandson ought to be able to do. And I hope in a God who has promised I will bring that about. That is an amazing hope. But man, it is not just a future hope. In the meantime, while we wait for that cascade to get to the ends of the earth and to the end of time, We have a God who even now, he enters into our world, he enters into our life, he enters into relationship with us, he he takes away our sin, he takes away our guilt and our shame every single day as you and I continue to jack up our lives and to make dumb choices and say, this is the way that I want to run, but I'm kind of tired and it's hard, and so I make this bad choice, I, I, I do these things, I seek after things that won't satisfy, they don't satisfy, and then I feel guilty and ashamed and stupid and foolish. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. I will take your burden. I will remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. He says, bring me your guilt. Bring me your shame. That's why I died, that you might be rid of it. We don't serve a God who takes our guilt and our shame and says, I'm going to pound you with it. I'm going to punch you in the face so you'll be motivated to do better and try harder. We serve a God who says, I know you are weak. I know you live in a sin-cursed world. I know that that your, your willpower and your affections and your desires, they were all damaged by the fall. But I've come that you might have life, and I've come that you might have grace, and I've come to bring restoration in order that one day we might get back to the garden and we might, like Adam and Eve, walk in the cool of the day in the garden with our God because he delights in us. And he wants to spend time with us. That's amazing. You go to the Minor Prophets and we read about a God who sings over us and delights in us like a a daddy holding his baby girl and singing a lullaby. For many of us, even our mom doesn't love us like that. But we have a God who does and he is our hope. Amen? Amen is, man, you guys have got to learn to say amen. It is early in the morning and it's hot in here, but that is amen worthy. Praise God for the hope that we have. My friends, do you have that hope? Does it drive you? Does it sustain you? Does it encourage you? Does it lift you up out of the daily despair that comes from life in a sin-cursed world? Does it overflow from your life in such a way that the people around you say, what is up with that guy? And in their own way, in their own words, they ask, man, what is the reason for the hope that you have? If you're like me, man, there are too many days when you don't have that hope. When that hope gets drowned out by all of the distractions in society, the sins in our life, that, you know, whatever the new app is on my iPhone, you know, that I'm just going after and I'm like staring at it for an hour and, and all of a sudden I finally look up and Oh, never mind, everyone else is staring at their iPhone. And I, and I go back to it, and I do that, and it just drowns out my hope. So often, though we have this hope, we don't live like people who have that, this hope. And that is a silly, sad, weak, and pathetic way to live, and I do not want that for any of us. When Peter calls his church to always be prepared to give an answer, Always be ready to give an answer to to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. He presumes that people are going to be asking because they can see our hope, that that is his design for our lives, and yet so often we lack hope. We've talked so far about the content of our hope. Next, I want to talk about three obstacles to having hope and to sharing hope. The The first is that we simply lose sight of our hope. Peter speaks of the hope that we have the hope that you have, the hope that I have, and yet we're continually losing sight of it. Sometimes we lose sight of our hope because of neglect. You know, we're just busy, and we've got got these Bibles, God's Word that he's given to us that speak of this hope and remind us of this hope, but the, the day is busy, and there's other apps that are more like engaging than the Bible app, and we just don't get there. Or We we want to find time in community, but it's hard. It's weird. I'm I'm not in the habit anymore. You know, COVID's been going on, and we just kind of do life on our own. And it's hard to make time to get with other people who are going to encourage us in our faith. Again, the iPhones, the the Netflix, the Hulu, the, the, the Olympics that's been going on, there's so many things that distract us. We live in a world that has other hopes. Again, career advancement and, and getting the next degree and, and finding a relationship and building a family and what, what are my kids going to be when they grow up? There's so many other things to hope in that distract us. Sometimes we lose sight of our hope through neglect. Sometimes we lose sight of our hope through just outright sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian executed by the Nazis, he talks about the cloudy thinking that surrounds lust really the cloudy thinking that that surrounds any temptation to sin that we sometimes fall into he says at that moment god just loses all reality satan doesn't fill us with a hatred of god but with a forgetfulness of god you know so in that moment when we're in the grip of lust or or we're in the grip of pride or we're in the grip of of greed or or you know, we're in the grip of bitterness because somebody's wronged us and we just, ugh, you know, we just can't let it go. It's, it's not that our hearts are often filled with a hatred of God. It's just a forgetfulness of God. Our, our vision of God and the hope that we have in him, it gets cloudy. And the hope of getting revenge, the, the, the hope of having this desire satisfied, whatever it is, that hope as, as shallow and stupid and goofy and wicked as it is, it becomes the only hope that we can see. Sometimes we we lose sight of our hope through neglect. Sometimes we lose sight of our hope through outright sin. Sometimes we lose sight of our hope through suffering. And I know like on the on the sliding scale of global suffering, we in America like we have it really good. You know, a lot of you guys know about our partnership with the church in Cuba and those Those sisters and brothers in Christ and their neighbors who don't know Christ, they're suffering in a way that's hard for us to grasp. COVID is ravaging their island in a way that we can't begin to understand. Some want vaccines, some don't want vaccines around here, and like we argue over there, they just don't have them. Like 10% of the island's vaccinated, and it's because of a shortage of vaccines. It's because of a shortage of syringes to deliver the vaccines that they have. You know, it's, it's because of a shortage of everything that you can imagine. You know, antibiotics, what, whatever it be. Shortage of jobs. Like, most people in Cuba are employed by the government, and the government is increasingly just laying people off because they haven't had money to pay them for a long time, so why even pretend? Just, just go home, guys. And even if they had money, there's no food to buy. They opened up new grocery stores because they, they didn't have any food in the other grocery stores. and There's all of these goofy dynamics going on. And, and I got friends who I love who are literally standing in line for like six hours to buy a few ounces of chicken. And after six hours, they finally get to the front of the line and they level them. Yeah, we've been, we've been out of food for a while now. We're sorry. And then they go home. We have brothers and sisters in Cuba who, on various days, they literally have no food to feed their children. Can you imagine your four-year-old coming up to you? Not, not whining, can I see the iPad again, but, but, Daddy, I am hungry. You got nothing. That is hard. In addition to all of that, Alfredo, like one of our primary partners in Cuba, for those of you who don't know, I mean, they're going through all of that, they're going through government protests, they're going through their own government, mobilizing the, the police and the military and, and loyalists to the party to go out in the streets and, and beat the protesters with sticks and bats and clubs, because that's their patriotic duty. In addition to all of that, about, about 12 months ago, his, his 20-year-old son was diagnosed with cancer, aggressive cancer, and about six months ago, his son died. Can you imagine going through all of that and then getting up on Sunday morning and, and trying to encourage the body with the hope that we have? My friends, pray for Alfredo. Pray for his wife, Dino. that their hope does not fail under the suffering that they are going through. And yet, as much as we in America aren't struggling with some of the things that 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 the darkest places of the world struggle with, we also suffer, amen? We also struggle. I, I don't think I know anybody who looks at the, the last 18 months and says, man, that was easy. That, that went well. Now, some of you, are like, oh, I'm kind of introverted, and like society's kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit, this, eh, okay, like maybe some of you are like on cloud nine, I don't know. But it's been hard so many of us struggling not with, with just with discouragement but clinical depression i mean we are down we are struggling i got friends who i love who have been suicidal and not just not just one i mean this is rampant this is terrible we're struggling and, and whatever it is, whether it's, you know, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of a dream or the, you know, this thing that I thought I was going to be able to do that I can't do or, you know, I'm just lonely, whatever it is that's getting you down, it's real. And, and when your eyes are fixed on those things, it's hard to remember the hope that you have. Again, some of you are like, I, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm getting through this season, I'm fine. If that's you, praise God. And take a deeper interest in your neighbor's life because you've got a neighbor who is not doing as well as you're doing. And they need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They need a text message. If they're a hugger, they need a hug. Okay? So often, suffering and discouragement and prayers that we've prayed that we look and say, God didn't answer my prayer. He didn't answer it the way I wanted. I don't know if I can hope in him anymore. It's hard on our faith. It's hard on our hope. Sometimes we don't share this hope that we have because we lose sight of our hope. Amen? Through neglect, through sin, through suffering, we lose sight of it. Second obstacle to sharing the hope that we have is sometimes we're simply disengaged from non-Christian society or perhaps from society altogether. We're disengaged from the people who don't share our hope. Again, listen to the verse. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This implies that in the midst of our daily lives, we're rubbing shoulders with people who don't understand our hope, who don't share our hope with friends and family and classmates and coworkers and and neighbors and strangers. And again, we live in just such an odd time where so many of the norms of cultural engagement have been broken down. And and it's tricky to figure out, how do I meet my neighbors? How do I love my neighbors? How do I engage? Do, Do they want to talk to me? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I shake a hand? Do I not share a hand? We live in weird times. And yet I pray that God is burdening every single one of our hearts with people that we can encourage, people that we can love. I'm not saying you need to go preach a sermon to them. I'm saying, go love them and see what God does with that. Amen? We need to engage this world with God's love. Pray that he opens up your eyes to see people to love, people to serve, people to invite into our lives, into our community, into this church, into the hope that we have. Finally, we see the obstacle of pride. Peter writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Get this. But do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes the surrounding culture, the secular culture around us, opposes us not because we're different and they are intolerant, but because we are just being proud and judgmental and entitled jerks. The command of the word of God is that we share our hope with gentleness and respect. I'm like 44 years old, and I have spent my entire life either living in or near a Christian subculture that believes they are in a culture war. And that is their prevailing attitude, and rhetoric towards culture. That is not gentleness and respect. It's entitlement. It's a theologically misguided idea that this world is our home. Not only that we lack a better hope than this world, but that this is ours and we are entitled to it. I'm sure I mean we can't we can't agree on the present so much less are we going to agree on history I'm sure that there are times in the history of this nation when it has been more christian than it is now but we're not israel we're, we're not a theocracy this is not ours And when we as Christians think this is ours and somebody else is taking it away, we do not engage our culture with gentleness and respect. We engage it with hostility, with arrogance, with entitlement. My brothers and sisters, I want us to understand we do not have a hostile hope. We're not in a culture war. We do not have a hostile hope. We have a winsome hope. Because our hope is in a Savior who saved us by serving. Who humbled himself. Humbled himself to become a man. Humbled himself all the way to the cross. Took our guilt and our shame on his back and bore it. We serve a Savior who, who, who got among his core disciples right before he went to the cross and he said, hey, hey guys, in our culture, the most humble, the most weak, the, the most lowly person in the room, they're supposed to be washing feet. That's just how our culture runs. And I noticed there's like a dozen of us or more gathered here, and nobody's washed feet because nobody has figured out that it's their role to humble themselves and do that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take off my clothes, I'm going to strip down to my underwear, I'm going to wrap a towel around myself, and I'm going to wash all of your feet. And his disciples were freaking out. And they're like, what is going on here? This is embarrassing, because when he washes my feet, I realize that I am supposed to be the one washing his feet, and frankly, I should probably get over myself and be washing everyone else's feet. He says, you know, Out there in the world, people are trying to climb and get on top and have power over each other and say, you need to do it my way because I'm in charge and I'm entitled and I know best and all that stuff. That's not how we do it in the kingdom of God. He says, you're looking for power, but I am among you as one who serves. And then he tells them, go and do likewise. We do not have a hostile hope. Some of us are political, some of us are not political. If you're political, by all means, right or left, whatever, by all means, fight for justice. But fight for justice for everyone. Fight for justice for all women and all men and all children. May we never be among the self-centered, entitled fools who advocate for ourselves and call it Christians. But may we be those who have a unique and countercultural hope that trusts in the finished work of Christ, trusts in the provision of Christ, and says, you know what? I'm just going to go out and serve. Amen? Sometimes we struggle to share our hope because we're proud. And we think that we have a hostile hope. And we do not. If our faith is not making us more humble and gentle and compassionate and full of empathy, more loving and understanding towards those around us who do not hope and think and believe like us? If our faith in Jesus is not shaping us into the humble character of Jesus, then we have misunderstood our faith, we have misunderstood our hope, we have misunderstood our Savior. Amen? One more time, we do not have a hostile hope. We have a humble hope. A winsome alternative to an angry, divided culture. And as we embrace that kind of hope, I'm promising you, it cannot help but draw questions. We've talked about the content of our hope. We've talked about obstacles to sharing our hope. Finally, I just want to talk about the joy. The joy of sharing our hope. And as I do this, I cannot do this justice. As I wrote this, as I thought about this, I found myself tongue-tied. I found myself just... If I shout as loud as I want to shout how much joy there is in sharing the hope that I have in Christ, they're just going to think I'm angry. (laughs) When I get loud, it's not angry. (laughs) I love you guys, and I want you to know this truth. I got a buddy who I meet for breakfast every Wednesday morning. He's exploring the Christian faith. Been doing this for about three months. We get together, we talk a little baseball, we talk a little bit of family. Uh, You know, we talk about how my team is like doing a fire sale and trading all of their awesome players to his team and other teams and how wonderful that is for him and how awful it is for me. We talk life for a while and then we get down to business and we talk about the gospel we talk about the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And, and, and we'll, we'll take an hour or better, and he'll ask questions, and he'll have pushbacks, and what about this? And we just dig in, and we talk about Scripture. And, and, and to the best of my ability, I answer the questions that we have, and, and I give a defense for the hope that I have. And gradually, week after week, month after month, I'm watching my friend grow and develop this increasingly robust faith in Jesus Christ he tell you he's in process, I'm like, I don't know, you might be freaked out, but I just think you walked over the cliff, man. Like, I'm listening to you, and yeah, I hear your questions, I hear your pushback, but but it looks like your hope is now in Jesus, and, and I don't think your hope is in your merit anymore. Because when I met you, is it like it's like guilt and shame and eh, I'm not really performing well. I feel kind of bad about that. And, and you know, I got to do better. I got to try harder. But now you're articulating to me the grace of Jesus Christ. That in the midst of your failure, in the midst of my failure, he loves you still. My friend's like, hey, can, can you get together with my friends and clarify this stuff? Because I'm trying to clarify it. I'm not as good at sharing it as you are, but I want my friends to understand this. People who don't share that hope don't care if anyone else understands it. You want to catch me at a good time of the week? Say you want to manipulate me. I, I hope you don't, but say you want to manipulate me. Say, say you just my kids. You want? To, they know this. You want to catch me at a good time in the week where you're going to like ask for something, and and I'm probably going to say yes just because I'm like I got some endorphins flowing and I'm not like thinking very clearly. Try about eleven o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Probably going to work out well for you. There is nothing more joyful in my week than having the opportunity to sit down with somebody that I love and continue to clarify and and explain and to share the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. We we started getting together, and he's like, okay, if we do this again, I'm like, this is my favorite part of the week. We can do this again, you know? This isn't, this isn't a burden to me. Like I, I talked about like the, the story in the Bible where, where Jesus, he goes to this fish, these fishermen he recruits them as disciples. He says, here's the deal. From now on, you're fishing for men. He's like, I'm, I'm like telling my buddy, I'm fishing right now. I love fishing. Now fishing with a rod, that looks so boring to me. Fishing for men, I love this. This, this is what I want to do with my time. And, and here's what happens when you share the hope that you have with other people it reinforces and it deepens that hope. Like I'm reading my Bible every day, I'm like I'm like talking about biblical stuff with other believers every day. Like that's just that's just a part of my life and it's a joy in my life. But to explain the hope that I have to somebody who doesn't share that hope or who's discovering that hope for the first time, there is nothing like it to deepen the conviction in my hope to like we get I talk about the hope that we have, and some of you are like, I've heard him say this before, I know about that. This isn't very engaging. He should keep the sermon coming along. When somebody who does not understand the hope that we have, they realize the news that it is. And their excitement gives you excitement. And you walk out of there, and you know you walk into it, and like, oh man, the, the hope over here of like burning my day, just fiddling with my iPhone, or chasing after lust, or 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 just uh, that guy was a jerk to me, and I wanna I wanna reflect on it and roll around in my head. I don't have any hope in that stuff anymore. I see it for what it is. It's garbage. I don't I don't want to spend my time there. A little bit of chilling at the end of the day, watching the Olympics. You know, have at it, whatever. But that's not my hope. I'm not looking for a pastime. I'm looking for an opportunity to share the hope that I have with somebody else who doesn't know the hope that I have. Amen? Man, that is joy. I'm telling you, it is the best part of my week. And there is just a virtuous cycle there that's amazing. You want to grow in the Christian life? Share your faith with somebody. Yeah, read your Bible, pray, all of those things. Share your faith with somebody. I'll light you up in the best way possible. My friends, I want you to know that joy. I want you to know that joy. Maybe you're intimidated by that. Maybe you say, well, I'm not a strong communicator. And yeah, sure, Shannon, you can talk about the Bible because you understand the Bible. Like, I, I, I don't get it. Man, start reading it and pray that God will open your eyes. Start in the Gospel of John. Just start reading it. If you're confused, text me ask a question, text somebody else, you don't have my number, I'll, I'll answer any Bible question you got. You're like, well, if, if I try to share it, it's going to go badly. I'm not going to know the answers. I'm going to get it wrong. Maybe they're going to go to hell because I, I like told them the wrong thing. I don't know. Give it a go. I give you permission. You got some wonky theology. Let's work it out on the fly. That's how we do it in baseball, Right? If, if you're like a the the strikeout kid, that's all you can do. Well, take some more swings. We'll give you some coaching along the way. We'll we'll figure it out. But you don't become a hitter by like sitting on the bench, you know. Let's go. Let's do this. Man, I want you to be the kind of people who when who you just know and love God's word so much that when people ask you questions about it, it's like. It's like the day after Halloween, and you're stealing your kids' candy, and you're like ripping open, you're like, sorry kids, you're, you're, like, you're like ripping open all the things. You know, that's how I want you to be with the Bible. It's like ripping open candy, and this is just fun. That's how it is for me. If you have this hope, you're going to be looking for people to share it with. How did this this relationship that I told you about come about? Three months ago, I'm at a baseball game, a little bit early, and a guy walks up to the wrong side of the field. You know, it's kind of like the home team is the close one to the parking lot, the away team, we make them walk a little bit further. There aren't many people, he walks up to our side of the field, and I'm kind of an extrovert, and I just start a conversation. You're like, oh, I'm an introvert, I can't do that. Whatever, you can figure it out. Okay? We're just talking real, ordinary stuff. And we just keep talking. Half hour in, we introduce ourselves. We just keep talking. It's a doubleheader. Now, his team was better than our team, and it wasn't as long a doubleheader as it could have been. you know. But we got several hours to talk. And, and we talked life, and we talked sports, and we talked family. And, and and in the midst of that, we talked a little bit about faith, and we talked a little bit about God. And we got to the end of it, and he's like, you want to get breakfast sometime next week? I'm like, yeah. And we get together, and we talk family, and we talk story, and we, we talk a little bit about God. And he gets in and says, You know, this is great, but if if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't want to talk about me anymore. No offense, I don't really want to talk about you. Could you tell me more about Jesus? Which was just his way of saying, could you give the reason for the hope that you have? As this hope is growing in you, people are going to notice. They're going to be like, this guy's weird, and I don't know what to, this, this lady's kind of strange, I don't know what to think about her. I don't know, maybe we ought to get lunch. Maybe we ought to get some coffee. Maybe I need to ask what's so strange about this person. People, I promise you, as you grow in your hope, people will ask you the reason for the hope that you have. And if they're not asking, be, be praying that God will open your eyes and maybe you start the conversation and gets going, amen? That's all I got for today. Again, if this seems unattainable for you, I want you to understand it's attainable. This can be you, and this can be your joy. If you got nothing else, here's what you know. You know that we meet here at 9 a.m., okay? You know that there's still a few seats open. Maybe, you know, last week it was even a little bit more crowded. Maybe it's like the every other week, can I get out of bed? I don't know, okay? You know where we can meet? You can can invite up. I'll explain the hope that we have. But I want you to have that joy, amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that we have. I thank you for the joy there is in sharing it. I thank you for the opportunity that every single one of us who is struggling, who is discouraged, who gets sidetracked by sin, who gets sidetracked by depression. God, I thank you that there is an opportunity for every single one of us to have more joy by remembering the hope that we have in you and to know unspeakable joy by sharing that with another. Lord, open our eyes to see. And God, As we sing even now, may you grow our hope in you. Amen.